Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 1. We're reading a lot from, early on we read a lot from Exodus. Lately we've been reading more from Numbers and Deuteronomy. And there's some, uh, you know, the same accounts in these, <clears throat> in these two books. And you get a little more detail from each one. But if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 1, let's read verses 20 and 21. Um, Moses is kind of thinking back. So he's recounting here. He says, And I said unto you, Ye are come unto the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord God doth give unto us. Behold, the Lord thy God hath set the land before thee. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath said unto thee, Fear not, neither be discouraged. There's a lot of repetition, uh, but it's not like it's unnecessary. It's, it's coming from different... Uh, maybe times and things like that, but but here they are. What we're reading there is where Moses is recounting when they got right to the promised land, and you know just through studying, I've learned that they came through the most the most difficult part physically of the journey was the part from from uh, where we were just reading. I mean, for the part we've been reading the last several weeks to, to this point. Where they came from uh, Hazaroth and and unto the, finally to Kadesh Barnea, which was right on the edge of the Promised Land. They could literally see the little hills of the Promised Land across the Jordan River from where they were, and that Moses later called that last trek getting to that spot that great and uh, he said a great and terrible uh, wilderness. So it was not a fun fun place to be. It was a hard journey. And it had taken them, it's good to kind of study these things, that from the time they left Egypt to the time they got to the brink of the, the promised land, where, where, where we're reading in Deuteronomy, was about 15 months. Because remember, they really stayed a long time at the Mount Sinai where they got the law, and the, the tabernacle and all that. And the tabernacle was built. And so about 15 months, about 400 miles of journey, to, to get where they were going. And Moses, I would think, now the Bible doesn't tell us all these things per se, but I, I would think he was ready. I, I think he would be longing for it. All the people would have been, but especially Moses. Longing for the land that God had promised to them. That's the whole reason they came out, was to go in. And I don't think Moses ever... It ever crossed his mind. Now again, I don't know this from the Bible, but reading a few Scriptures we can see where there was a disappointment in Moses. He didn't, I don't think he ever thought that he would not be the one to lead the people in. I don't think that he thought that he was not himself going to go in until God revealed it to him. And so the Lord, I would say in the kindness of God, hid that from him. The Lord kept that from him. Maybe it would have been too disappointing. I don't know. I don't want to start supposing, but we're going to talk tonight a little bit about disappointment and how Moses was disappointed and how he handled it. We get disappointed in things, don't we? We get let down, especially something we've waited for a long time or hoped for a long time. Those are the, those are the biggest hoped for things and those are the biggest disappointments when they don't come, come to fruition like we thought. And so... By, by reading those scriptures we read in Deuteronomy, he says this in verse 20, this is the land which the Lord our God has given us. So I think at this point, 
he was thinking he was going to be going in as well. And, and he says, you know, go up and possess it. And so there was this disappointment because of all things that Moses probably desired, I would think it would have been rest. In just a rest. He had been literally carrying, I don't mean literally like physically carrying the people, but it's described as a nursing mother carrying a child. And that was almost the relationship with him taking the children of Israel through the wilderness. And now they're at the promised land. They're right at the brink of it. They can see it in the distance. And he's thinking, oh, I can't wait to get there. I need some rest. I need a rest. I need that rest of Canaan. I need the rest where, uh, where I've like accomplished what God called me to do. And I'll, I can discharge this duty, so to speak, and be and, and done with it. And not that done with the Lord, but done with that responsibility of bearing the weight of the people and interceding for them and so forth. And this can happen with us as too, y'all, that we, as I said, we, we hope for something a long time and it doesn't come to pass. He didn't know at this point that it wasn't going to come to pass, but we all know the story. Moses did not get to go into the promised land. And he's about to find that out very soon. And we can we can be disappointed. We can dis- be disappointed in that, but what if, what if God's plan is bigger than that? What if God's plan is for Moses to wander in the wilderness until He calls him home? What if that's God's plan for Moses' life and have a wonderful, intimate relationship with Him the whole time? You understand what I'm saying? If that's God's plan, He's the potter, we just sang it, and we're the clay, what if it's not that God's being cruel because he's absolutely got to rest now. You know what I'm saying in heaven with the Lord. But what if God's plan was not what Moses thought it was? That I'm going to work real hard. I'm going to get us there. We're going to get into Moses, the promised land. and I can let my breath out and rest. A job well done. But God had another plan. Moses didn't know if he was going to wander with the children of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness. He didn't know that at that time. They didn't know that at that time. And I think of all that would have been disappointed, it would have been Moses. And I think about, I think about our own life sometimes. Maybe we have things, we can't say God showed us, but maybe things we've hoped for, even in, in ministry, even in our walk with the Lord, or our life. I, I hope to get to this certain point and then really kind of throw some of this weight off and relax a little bit. And yet, what if that's not God's will? What if it is His will? Then so be it. Hallelujah. What if it's not? What if it's His will for you and I, or you or I, to march in the wilderness until our our next steps in heaven? You understand what I'm saying? What if that's what He has for our lives? And I thought about this when I was studying and praying. It reminds me of Jesus after He rose from the dead and was 40 days on the earth, right? With it appeared to his disciples at least three times we know of. And he was speaking to Peter and Peter's, the Lord's telling Peter what kind of death he's going to die, right? He says, when Peter, when you were young, you went wherever you wanted. You have some kind of freedom over your own life. But when, you're old, when you get older, somebody's going to lead you by the hand basically and take you where you don't want to go. This signifying by what death he should glorify the Lord. And when Peter looks at John, he says, Lord, what about him? Y'all remember the Lord's answer to John? 
He says, what is that to you? You follow me. And it kind of puts us all in our place. He's the potter, we're the clay. What if we, we would think, wow, wow, you know, Moses, what a job well done. What, what things he had to put up with from the children of Israel. It sure would be in like a storybook ending if he got to lead them into the promised land and rest over there. But God had a different plan. And it's, His plan is always the best. We can't judge it like that. We, we judge it in the sense that we know it's the best. And it might be that way we, we see another Christian brother or sister and we see things going smoothly for them. And we look at our own lives and we say it's difficult. It's hard. And, uh, and we're thinking, I need to finish this. I need to finish this part of my life or this segment of my life and get to a place of rest. And God may have something different. He might want to teach us. We'll talk about this at the very end. He might want to teach us in the midst of that to find true rest in Him even in the midst of what's going on. And the circumstances may not calm down. The circumstances may never be exactly like we've prayed they would be or would have wanted them to be. And yet God's still God and He still can give us rest. Amen? He still gives us. He knows what we need. And so, let's, let's read about it. So when we read that right there in Deuteronomy, uh, that was like Him recounting when they got up to the brink of the Promised Land after 15 months. And what led to the disappointment? What led to the wandering in the wilderness? We're going to look at it real quickly. It was when they sent in Numbers 13 and in Numbers 14. We'll read a little bit. But we know the story where they, they got right to the promised land and they sent the 12 spies into the land, right? And so 12 spies, one from each of the tribes of Israel, go. I think it was 30 days they were in the land. And then they come back and they give a report. And <clears throat> this was the first... This is the first mistake, I guess you would say, in this part that the Israelites made. They came back, they, they did find and send the spies in. The spies came back and they said, uh, certainly we came into the land where, uh, whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. This is the fruit of it. Then the ten said, now here's the problem. The ten said, the people are strong, the cities are fenced and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there, or the children of the giants. And we, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. So we talk about this account a lot. You've heard a lot of sermons probably or lessons on this, and, and it's all valid. It's wonderful lessons we can take from this. Twelve people go in the land and twelve come back. They're carrying fruit from the land. The, the grapes, they've never seen grapes this big. They have to carry them between two guys carrying them on a pole between the two of them. They've never seen anything like this. They said it's exactly what God says. It does flow with milk and honey. Here's some of the fruit of it. And they all 12 saw the same thing, but 10 of them give to the Bible calls an evil report. The evil report was that they focused strictly on the, the difficulties that were there. We know it. This is not a whole sermon on that. But they focused on the, the giants of the land, the fence cities, uh, all, the, all the walls and things that were there that would make it difficult for them to take it. And then they ended up their, their summation by saying, we be not able to take it. That was all it took. 
That was all it took for a nation full of people to, to throw up their hands in despair, to turn on the Lord, to turn on Moses. That's all it took. And the two others, Joshua and Caleb, we talk about them. I don't know the names of the other ten, but we know the names of the two, right? Joshua and Caleb. Because they said, if the Lord delights in us, we will, He will bring us into the land and give it to us. And they were like, they were, they were, I could just picture them being desperate. No, no, no. Listen, y'all. Listen, listen, listen. If God wants us to have this land, He'll have it. Don't, don't listen to them. But it was like it was too late. They, they, the people were discouraged. They were fearful. They were uh, complaining and murmuring. So what is the difference? The difference of, of 12 people with the same, they saw everything the same. Joshua and Caleb saw the exact same giants the other 10 did. Joshua and Caleb saw the exact same walled cities and fenced cities, soldiers and whatever they saw in there. They all saw the same thing. We you know good and well what the answer is, but the, the difference is that uh, like F.B. Meyer puts it, some people look at the circumstance at God. They look at the circumstances and behind that somewhere they, they see the Lord. They look at the Lord through the circumstances. And some people look at the circumstances through the Lord. And there is a difference. We want to look at the circumstances and difficulties through God. Because when you look at, at those difficulties through the Lord, when the first thing you see is the Lord, and then that whatever the circumstance or difficulty is, or trial or tribulation or enemy, or whatever it may be behind the Lord, or through that lens, so to speak, of faith in Almighty God, then it doesn't matter what's out there. <clears throat> it doesn't matter how great the enemy is. It doesn't matter if it's some enemy you've never faced before, and it's a greater difficulty than you, you or I have ever faced before. It's seen through the light of the Lord. It's seen through the light of His truth. It's seen through the goodness and the faithfulness and the power of our God who promised to give us the land. He promised it. And Joshua and Caleb got it. It doesn't mean they're sinless. It doesn't mean they were perfect, nor was Moses. But they did have faith. By faith. The Bible tells us later in Hebrews, by faith that Joshua and the Israelites compassed about the cities of of Jericho and the walls fell down flat. By faith, Joshua and Caleb did not bring an evil report. They tried to steal the people. And so this was a fatal mistake for them. Literally, it was fatal. Because they, they did not get to enter the promised land. That was it. Right there. That one account, that one moment, that one report of the spies. The people could have said, you know what, Caleb, we were afraid at first, but... We think Joshua and Caleb are right. The Lord can give it to us. They could have done that, but they didn't. It was all that it took. I mean, that, that's all it took for, to discourage them. And y'all, it's always, unbelief will never, unbelief will never get beyond the trials and the, and the difficulties. Unbelief will never come out victorious over those things. Just know it in your own life, in my own life too, as believers. I'm not saying unbelief that we're not saved. But even as Christians, unbelief in some particular trial that we're having, or prayer that remains unanswered, unbelief will never get over the, the giants. Never. Never. The answer has to be faith. The answer has to be, God help me to believe you. God help me to trust you. And He'll direct us to His Word. And He'll fill us with His Spirit. 
and he'll, he'll encourage us if we'll receive it. Okay, but unbelief will never get past the walled cities and the giants that are in the land. Uh, it always pictures them. In other words, unbelief is always going to picture the difficulty in, in their mind. We'll, we'll be focused on the difficulty. We'll be focused on the problem. Whatever your giant is, if you have some right now, or giants in your life right now, are you preoccupied with that? Is your focus and attention always, always on that? Where faith, faith is going to have its attention on the Lord. I'm not telling, talking down to you like I don't have the same difficulties. I'm simply saying unbelief will never get past the difficulty because it's focusing on the giants. Unbelief never attains. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1, I mean 11, and start reading it. It tells us by faith the elders obtained a good report. By it the worlds were framed. And we know it to be true. By faith in all these stories that are given. In, in accounts that are given. Faith, faith is going to attain. Unbelief will never. Never. I'm trying to stress that to you, but unbelief will never get past the difficulty. I think even if we're saved, if we're doubting God in some area, we're not going to be victorious in that area or that problem that we're facing. Now, God help us to have faith. But faith doesn't minimize the problems. That's another thing. Faith is not a denial. And I think that's where some people mess up. Positive confession. Oh, if you got a cold, don't confess you have a cold. You know, we've got to shoo all those negative thoughts away. As though it's like a magic spell. I don't, I don't believe that. Faith doesn't minimize the problems. Faith chooses to focus on God, who is bigger than those things. I'm not going to dwell on the problem 24 hours a day. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to bring those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. He tells me He's able. Right? He tells me He's able. He has promised me. And, and faith is going to trust in the Lord. And so, <clears throat> the, when, when this happened and, and the people rebelled, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people not believe Me? So this is what it came down to. How long will they, they not believe Me? It says in Hebrews 3, we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Right? So this is another important point to make tonight in this study. It was not a particular sin that kept them out. It wasn't that they, a few months before they made a golden calf and actually said, these be our gods that brought us out of Egypt. And let's make a captain and go back to Egypt. That didn't keep them from the promised land. It was unbelief. Unbelief will always shut that door. Sins can be forgiven. Aren't you glad? Horrible sins can be forgiven. A lifetime of sin can be forgiven. Uh, believers who sin horribly after they believed and made a public profession of faith and have served God for years, when we sin late in life or at some point in life, can be forgiven. I pray it doesn't happen. It doesn't have to happen. But my point is, none of those things shut the door to heaven. None of those things because the, Lord, the Lord's not going to tie us down to some past sin. He's going to say, come and be be forgiven. And by faith, we're going to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not worthy. I've never been worthy. I'm not sure not worthy now. But I come to You for Your mercy and forgiveness. And we're going to find it there every time from the Lord. It does not matter what the sin is. But don't let some sin keep you from going on with God. Satan would love that. I'm talking to believers tonight. 
Certainly a lost person needs to come and get saved. But don't let a particular sin, maybe a major sin, maybe something big that's happened in our lives, it's a total disgrace and whatever. Don't let it keep you from going on with God. God doesn't want to tie you down there and say, okay, to the day you die, you'll be tied around this. He doesn't want you to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of unbelief. When we sin, we can go to the Lord by faith and belief and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be forgiven and cleansed. And He can... I'm not saying there might, might not be some consequences in this life for our sin. I'm not saying that. There might very well be. But it doesn't mean we can... But we certainly can be forgiven and cleansed and that sin is not going to characterize my life. <coughs> From this day forward, it's not going to characterize my life. Be forgiven. Be cleansed. Walk in whatever discipline God gives you from it. And go on with the Lord. Okay? But they, they did not. And unbelief is never going to get there. Okay? Unbelief will never get to where God wants us to be. <clears throat> so they, they didn't believe and they murmured and, and they said, let's make us... All the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. Didn't have Joshua and Caleb weren't crying. You know what I mean? Moses wasn't crying. All the people lifted up their voice and cried and people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured. That's a sin. He hates it. He hates it when I murmur. He hates murmuring and complaining. It's a, it's a, sm a slap in his face against the goodness of God to us. And we're feeling sorry for ourselves and murmuring. They murmured against Moses and against Aaron and said, Would to God that we had died in the land of Egypt. And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. This was not the first time this happened. But I would say that this is the first time it happened to his face. <laughs> Moses, the first time they did it, when they made the calf and they said, we're going to go back to Egypt. As this fellow Moses, we don't know what's become of him because he was gone for so long up on the mountain and didn't return. He got down and they had already had their rebellion and he stamped it all out. We <coughs> know the story. But this time it was right in front of his face and saying, we don't, you know, we're murmured against Moses, Aaron, the Lord. We're going to make a captain. We're going back to Egypt. We're going back. What were they in Egypt, y'all? Slaves. It was terrible. God brought them out by the high hand of God, the Passover night, and all that. It's unbelief. This is not just a particular sin, this is an unbelief and a rejection of everything about the Lord and His goodness. You don't understand what I'm saying? This is not just. Oh, I lied after I got saved. I, I did this after I got saved. This is un un unbelief. And we see it in them. Moses was not this way. Joshua was not. Joshua and Caleb were not this way. And so, uh, they're going over his head. They're going over Moses' head and, and we're, we're going to make another captain and go back. And so, the Lord says, tomorrow... And this is in, in chapter 14, Numbers 14, 25. Tomorrow turn you and get you up into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. So this was a dis disappointment I opened with. Okay, so they've gotten right there after 15 months. All the burdens, all the things that we've studied and talked about, what that must have been like for Moses and all the people. I'm sure they were tired, worn out. But they get right to the brink where they can literally see it. And the Lord says, turn you. Turn around and go back out in the wilderness again. Can you imagine? 
but that would in a natural sense that would almost been too much to handle it would have been a crushing blow and I wanted to look at how Moses handled it as opposed to how the people handled it. Moses wasn't even the cause for this. And yet he handled it in the most godly way. The people that were to blame for it, they, uh, they, they say, well, let, let's uh, you know, give it another shot. And they really they made a huge mistake. And they said, well, when they heard that they had to turn and wander in the wilderness for 40 years, it's... I'm going to read this. Look at Numbers 14, verse 12. This is the Lord's... Uh, the people wanted to stone Moses in verse 10. And let's look in, in verse 12. Well, 11 and 12. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. I'd have probably said, good plan, Lord. You know, let's do that right now. In a very, in a very spiritual way. You know. But it was a test. Don't ever forget this. God allows His people to be tested. If He loves you, He chastens you. He tests us. He tests us beyond measure. He tests us beyond our strength. But He tests us. And He's always got us. Even when we can't see him, he still got us undergirded with this strength. And we've talked about this before. When Satan tempts a man, he wants to tempt us to sin. He has no good intention for you. He wants you to fall into sin. He wants to wreck your life. He wants to riddle your faith, to sift you as weak, Simon. Okay? Satan tempts you to sin, to, to bring out some evil in you, and we've talked about it before, make it like a permanent trait. Like this is the new me. Okay? Falling into sin, I'm going to stay there and, and go off that way. God tempts us and tries us not, to, not in order for us to sin, but to, to strengthen us, to strengthen our faith, to maybe expose what's in us so we'll go to Him for prayer, to expose some weaknesses in us, and to take some godly fruit like patience and make it ours i went through that trial and i learned patience the patience of job okay and i learned it and god made it part of me he made it part of my character my nature the trial produced some godly fruit you understand what i'm saying so the intent is totally different the trial on the surface may look exactly the same the trial on the surface, what you're going through, a sickness or whatever, uh, relation, difficulties in relationships, or whatever it may be, may, may look the same on the outside, but God has a total different purpose. We want His purpose. Don't ever fall into the hands of the devil, okay? And fall for his lies and traps. Fall into the hands of God. But so that this is offer is made basically. Moses let me alone. I'm going, to, I'm going to destroy them with a pestilence. And I'm going to start over with a new nation with you. And Moses, this was a test for him as well. That part was a test. Because he didn't say, yes, God, do it. See what God had made him? We've been talking about what God does in us, for us, and also in us. God had worked in his heart and life 
And Moses was faithful in all his house, it says in Hebrews. He was faithful in all that God called him to do. And God had made him an intercessor. In that sense, a type of Christ. In that sense, a type of uh, intercessor for the people like we have an intercessor. An advocate who takes the blows for us. Who stands in the gap for us and for our sins. Just in that, you know, types and shadows. Moses was a sinful man that needed a Savior. But the point is, in that sense, what, what was in him came back out. And his reasoning for not doing it, I love this, he says, no, look at, look at verse 15 and 16. Now if thou shalt kill all the people as one man, then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land which he swore unto them, therefore he had slain them in the wilderness. I beseech thee, let thy power of the Lord be great according as thou hast spoken. Anyway, and he calls, he cries out, he gets on his face and calls out to the Lord for mercy. But you see Moses, you see a difference in him, and, and I see a difference in him and me. This is something where I would want to be so much more like Moses. His first thought was for the glory of God. That was it. It wasn't like, well, you know, I am really tired, Lord. I'm exhausted. I'd sure like to see it. Can you just let me go in and they wander around for a while? You know, uh, nothing like that. His first thought was, no, Lord, if you kill all these people, like one killing in the, in the wilderness, boom, two million people die. However many there are, a million and a half die. All these people that have heard of your fame, they saw us come out of Egypt. We passed through some of these lands getting there, uh, getting to where they were. They're going to think it's going to look bad on you, God. It's going to look like you didn't have the power to bring them in. It's going to it's going to reflect badly on you. So once again, what does Moses do? What do we read in Hebrews 11? He chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather to enjoy. We could say in this case, rather to enjoy Canaan for a season. In other words, he chose once again. Now I'm going to suffer affliction with the people of God. He interceded for them. And so they were told that they were going to wander, uh, wander in the wilderness for 40 years until their carcasses fell in the wilderness. And so that, that's such a godly trait on Moses, in Moses to choose to be identified with that. When the Lord made him this great offer, right? It's a great offer, but I think even in this, the Lord was testing him to see what his servant would do. He knew what his servant would do, and it brought that trait out in him more. You see what I'm saying? It brought that, it fixed it in him more. And again, the Lord allows us to be tested and tempted in ways to test us. We sacrifice a lot of times for others, but that's a godly trait, isn't it? We sacrifice and go, un go unappreciated by others a lot of times. Maybe through whole, all of life. Take care of an elderly parent or something like that and nobody pats you on the back for it. Nobody ever. But yet, God is working as you can get bitter in that or you can let God work in your heart and life. Circumstance is the same. What you can let God do in your life. Preaching to myself, okay? I'm preaching to myself in the sense of learning from these trials. But 
Um, so the people, when they hear that they have to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years and die, now they get real scared and they get upset and they're like, um, we're going to go up. Lo, we be This is the next morning. They said, Lo, we be here and we will go up unto the place which the Lord hath promised. Nevertheless, the Ark of the Covenant and of the, and the, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and Moses departed not out of the camp. And so this was like a last ditch effort. You know, we hear people talk about, oh, you're trying to serve God in the flesh. And usually the way they use that is not really valid to me. You know, don't read your Bible if you don't feel like it because you'd just be doing it in your flesh. No, read your Bible even when you don't feel like it because God's Word tells you to do it. Alright? Do it by faith. This to me is an example of someone trying to do something in the flesh. God was not with them. He had, he had told them not, they were not going to take the land. Turn, He told them, turn back and, and go back into the wilderness. And they're like, no, 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 no. We're, we, uh, we're going to do this, Moses. We're, we, we're sorry. We're going we're to go take the land now. And Moses says, why are you going to do it now? He said, literally, you're not going to prosper. Moses didn't go with them. Ark of the Covenant didn't go with them. Which represented the presence of the Lord. And yet they went. And the Canaanites smote them. And they came back with their tails between their legs. And they were, and now it's just compounding the problem. The difference is, none of them were going to get to go into the promised land. The nation of Israel and Moses. But Moses, even though he was innocent in that sin of unbelief, he handled it. He handled the discipline of the Lord for 40 more years. 40 years in Egypt. 40 years in Midian. Uh, as, a, as a shepherd, 40 years in the wilderness. And in each of those, you know, he's coming to know the Lord more. He's growing in the Lord. He's being, becoming God's man for that, for that moment. But they said, no, they wouldn't submit. Nay, we'll go up. And, and y'all, it's a better, a thousand times over, it's better for you and me to submit to the discipline of the Lord than to try to take matters in our own hands. Submit to it. He'll chasten, but He's not going to kill you. And the Lord loves, He chastens. You remember when David in the Old Testament, he numbered his armies and, and God had told him, he even sent a man of God to warn him not to do it. You know, don't trust in the number of your armies. God multiplies them. He makes them to be however many is needed to be. Uh, God's the reason you've won all these victories. But late in life, after many victories, after he was king and sitting on the throne, he wants to number his armies to see what a mighty for, a force he has. You know the story. And, and, the, and he did it. He did it against the counsel of the prophet and the man of God warning him. And he did it anyway. So it was a sin on his behalf. He sinned. And the Lord sends the man back and says, I'm giving you three choices. He, he, he realized that one of those three options, he didn't buck against any of them. The Lord actually gave him a choice on his punishment. Okay? But he didn't try to get out of the punishment and say, I don't deserve it. God, you're unfair. He submitted, and he submitted to the one option in the three that was most relying on the Lord in his mercy. Those I'm falling, he even said it. I don't want to fall to the hands of my enemy pursuing me for two months. They're not going to be merciful. But if I fall to the hands of the Lord, he'll be merciful. I'm going to choose, and he was real quick about it. I'm going to fall on God's mercy. So I'm simply saying by this, we'll have to talk about that story about David someday. But just for our lives and our, for our point and our purposes tonight, we're about to close that 
don't try to get out from under the discipline of God. He's just. You're not going to get out from under it. They just compounded the problem. No, we're going to go up. We're going to go up. Why will you go up? Moses said, you're not going to prosper. God told you you're not going to prosper. No, we're going to go up and take the land. They got defeated. People died. They came back wounded. Some people dead. And they came back defeated. And now they just made it worse. This was not in Moses. Was he disappointed? He didn't go to the promised land? Yeah, there's scriptures I've read, I was reading today where he says, can I at least go see it? And the Lord took him up on the mountain and he showed him east, north, you know, west, south. He showed him the whole land that they were going to inherit. But he told him, you're not going to go into it. Moses didn't whine and complain. He was disappointed. He turned back and for 40 more years of that old man's life, he wandered in the wilderness. And we're going to close with this thought right here. What was Moses' comfort in that? What would have been Moses' comfort in that situation? We said what a bitter disappointment it would have been. He's a human being too, okay? He gets there, he's tired. And he wants to go into that promised land, possess it, and rest. Job well done, okay, by Moses. You know, rest. And God gets, to the, gets him to the brink. They turn back. And he doesn't ever get to go into it. He never gets any closer than that right there. And so, what would have been his comfort? It would have to be the Lord Himself. He is the God of all comfort. His comfort had to come not in the circumstances, not in a physical Canaan land, but God gives a rest, y'all. We talked about it earlier. That's something we need to lay hold on. I guess if there's one thing we need to lay hold on tonight, it would be this. We, we are disappointed. Sometimes we're totally disappointed in an outcome of something we longed for that never came to pass. It never came to fruition. And, and yet, God's still with us. We might, like I said, we march through the wilderness and He's got it, he's got it in His plan. March, 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 march heaven. And we never got the rest in this life that we thought we would have, that we thought we deserved, that we thought God would have given us for a job well done. We see other people getting to kick back a little bit, and they're believers, and, and yet we didn't see it ourselves. It's okay. He's trying to teach us something. He is going to, in place of that physical Canaan land, an earthly Canaan land of rest, He is going to impart to us, if we'll receive it, He's going to impart that heart rest that surpasses that physical land of Canaan with the big grapes, okay, and the hills and the rest and the hammock by the little river, you know, where you can kick back. It's better what He puts in our hearts. And we know that all of us, for all of us, we have a, there is a rest that remains for the people of God. With the Lord, one day when all this striving is over, there's striving here. But when Christ is all in all and there's no temptation of the devil, there's not even this old rotten flesh, to try to keep me down, it'll, he'll be all in all and there'll be a complete rest. So I just want to encourage you. It's not that God's being cruel. He, he loved Moses. You know that. The Lord loved Moses. And He speaks so highly of him through His Word. He was, Moses was dear to the Lord. Okay? And this is what He allowed him to go through. He didn't get to go to the Promised Land. And anyway, it, it's just he, he learned another rest. He learned a more important rest. And I bet you Moses wouldn't have traded that for anything. So this is way better than Canaan. You know what I mean? This is way better than that land. You can come.
I just want us to close together uh, tonight in prayer. I just pray you're encouraged by this. And, this, and, 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 you know, there's no real call upon us from this sermon other than to, to rest in God's plan for us. Doesn't mean we don't pray. We don't pray eagerly. But once God showed them to turn and go, you're not going, Moses. Turn and go into the wilderness than to submit to the discipline of the Lord and believe that He's going to comfort us. He's going to strengthen us. I'm not telling you to give up on dreams that God's put on your heart. Okay? Or give up things, or praying for good things that God hasn't answered yet. But to, to submit to the Lord and yield to the Lord. Submit to His discipline. And He's going to do something in our, in our hearts that uh, could never be done otherwise. So Father, we just come before You in Jesus' name. God, Lord, I read this sermon and I, and I think about how, how far I am from what Moses is. The way he interceded on behalf of the people and identified himself with the people. And the way he was only concerned not for his own comfort or blessings. He was concerned about the glory of God. If you wiped out the children of Israel, it would have reflected bad on you and your glory and your goodness. And He didn't want that. God, if there's anything in our lives that that wouldn't reflect good on your glory and your goodness, God, then we don't want it. I pray You would help us, God, to quickly yield and submit. To submit to Your discipline in our lives. And in turn, God, to receive the growth and the maturity and the strength and the comfort and the peace that comes from You, God. And anybody here tonight that's going through a real trial, just give yourself to the Lord. Just come to these altars and pray and ask God to give you that peace in the midst of the storm, to give you supernatural strength in the midst of a, bit, midst of a bitter disappointment. And if there's anybody here that's committed some sin and you feel like it's that's it. This, this, I just wrote the history of my life. And, and I can't go on with God. That's a lie. There's not a scripture in this Bible that tells you that. Everything says that we turn to the Lord and be forgiven and cleansed and washed in His blood. You ask God to forgive you. You ask God to strengthen you. You ask God to fulfill His eternal purposes in and through and for your life. And He will do it. It's not His will for you to be tied down to a sin. He wants to forgive you and for you to find grace and mercy. Praise you. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God.